on Sunday, our live stream cameras weren't working and we had to live stream on a phone and, and we've got that fixed now, but the audio was bad. So I am re-recording my sermon now. And, uh, and actually like a few weeks ago, I had preached on the text of the feeding of the 5,000, which, you know, that's a story we love to tell in church. But this scripture from our lectionary is kind of the opposite. It's a story we don't love to tell because it's one of the very rare times when the Bible makes Jesus look bad. It comes from Mark 7. So let's, let's get into it. But before we do, let's pray. God of peace, God of light, God of love, we give thanks for your spirit that shapes us and forms us and surrounds us. And we pray that through that spirit, you'll hear, we will hear your word for us today. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. Jesus left that place and went into the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know that he had entered a house, but he couldn't hide. In fact, a woman whose young daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard about him right away. She came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, Syrophoenician by birth. She begged Jesus to throw the demon out of her daughter. He responded, the children have to be fed first. Isn't it right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs? But she answered, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Good answer, he said. Go on home. The demon has already left your daughter. When she returned to her house, she found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. And honestly, uh, it's a word of the Lord that, well, like, I don't know if there's a story in the scriptures where Jesus looks worse than right here, where Jesus come, where a woman comes to Jesus, throws herself at his feet, and begs him to heal her child. And, and you know, this woman, she's, she's not given a name. She's given a category, Syrophoenician, Gentile. It's a way of describing her without dignifying her. Her description tells us what she is not, that she's not a Jew, that she's not a child of God. And Jesus seems to confirm this when he looks down at this desperate woman and tells her, the bread is for the children, not the dogs. And, and here Jesus, you know, Jesus could be referring to himself as the bread of life or the Torah as God's bread. But, but either way, this woman does not get the bread because she's not a child of God. Instead, she's compared to a dog. But despite being insulted to her face, this faithful woman doesn't back down. She might be from the wrong ethnic group, but she believes this Jewish rabbi has the power to heal. So instead of slinking away, the woman comes back at Jesus with the clever response that even the dogs eat the crumbs. Jesus hears her and heals the woman's daughter. And that's our story. 
Is it, is it fair to say that Jesus looks bad here? I mean, he calls a faithful woman a dog because she's from the wrong ethnic group. Like, I'm, I'm cool by saying Jesus looks pretty bad here, right? I mean, I'm not the only one. Uh, it seems that most people are a little uncomfortable with this passage, and that's created uh, a number of explanations of what Jesus, what's going on, what Jesus is doing. And I think that the explanation I, I've heard the most is that uh, Jesus is testing the woman. He, he wants to make sure she has enough faith. But when does this fly? Like, would, would people buy it if you told them? Yeah. So you see, I was only pretending to be a jerk to make sure that you had faith in me that I'm not actually a jerk. Right? some sort of like 3D chess. Yeah, that that wouldn't work, not in the real world. And and honestly, I the other popular popular explanation is tough to swallow as well, that that Jesus was being sarcastic, that that this was playful banter between two marginalized marginalized people. But that that's tough because Jesus has all the power here. He's a male. He's a Jew. He's a rabbi. And he literally has the power to heal this woman's daughter. She's desperately begging at the feet of a powerful man. Is this the time for a joke? Especially a racial joke. It, it doesn't sound funny. It just sounds mean. So what do we do with it? There is another option that, that I think holds up biblically, and I think it works theologically. But I want to warn you, it will probably make us uncomfortable because I'm about to suggest that Jesus was wrong at first. And when I say wrong, this is what I mean. Jesus was wrong because he did not plan to heal this woman's daughter due to her ethnicity. Wrong because treating people differently based on race or ethnicity is always wrong, even when Jesus does it. But Jesus is only wrong at first. Jesus is only wrong until he meets this woman and her persistence, her faith, and her humanity forces Jesus to reconsider who would be included in the kingdom of God. Jesus was only wrong because he had yet to learn that, that God's mission was to embrace the whole world, not just the Jewish people. So how are we doing? Just checking the internal temperature. Does it make us uncomfortable to think about Jesus still learning the full extent of his mission on earth? How's that feel? I don't know, but it's hard to escape because at some point Jesus had to learn. 
Jesus wouldn't be very human if he was born with the brain of an adult, if he understood the extent of God's mission for the world as a baby, which means there was a time at which Jesus learned God's plan. And if Jesus could learn as a child, or as a youth, or as a young adult, why couldn't he continue to learn God's plan from those he ministered to? Why couldn't this be the moment when Jesus learned that, that God's promises would include the whole world? Even this woman who his culture had taught him to exclude. And, and some might say that Jesus can't learn because Jesus is God and God doesn't change. But that's, I think that's only half right. Like God's character does not change, but God's plans and strategies continually change based on what God learns from those God ministered to. I mean, just take a look at the, the Hebrew Bible. In, in the first 12 chapters of Genesis, God learns that it doesn't work to be equally revealed to all people at the same time. So God changes strategies, first with the flood, and then with the plan to reach the world through blessing one particular family, the family of Abraham. And, and through this section, uh, God's character doesn't change, but God's plan does. Then, yeah, ten chapters later, in Genesis, God tests Abraham. And the scripture tells us that God learns something new. God learns that Abraham will be faithful. And, and after that point, you know, the character of God doesn't change, but God's plans do. And, and I think the one that really stands out to me the most, the one I first thought of was Exodus 32. God's, God's super mad. Uh, it's the whole golden calf thing, and, and God's about to kill the Israelites. But Moses argues with God, and the text tells us that God's mind is changed, and God decides not to kill the Israelites. And, and here, again, God's character doesn't change, but God's plan does. And so if God can learn, is it so wild to suggest that Jesus can learn too? Is it wild to suggest that a Jewish man who underwent Jewish teachings would accept the belief that the God of Israel was only for the people of Israel? I mean, that was a belief that pretty much every ethnic group believed about their God. And so it might have been that Jesus accepted this belief, even if he didn't like it. Because, I mean, who among us have accepted a belief as right, even if we had a hunch that it was wrong? Like when I, I went to a Christian college and was told that God didn't want people to be queer. And there were a lot of ways that that felt wrong. But I accepted it as right, or at least until I got too tired of defending something I knew to be wrong. So for me, it, I guess it's not that hard to imagine that 
Jesus starts with the party line about dogs, but no longer has him in it, has it in him to defend a belief that excludes a faithful woman. And, and in that moment, in this interaction, for the first time in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus heals someone who's not Jewish. From here on out, Jesus welcomes Samaritan and Jew alike. So, just, just want to check in again. This is kind of a lot. How are we doing? How are we feeling about the possibility that Jesus was wrong at first? That he learned the, the full expanse of God's kingdom from this woman? It still might not be quite comfortable, probably, uh, probably because of that word wrong. And, and I want to be clear, I'm not suggesting that Jesus sinned. I'm simply suggesting that Jesus recognized that he had inherited a belief that was wrong, a belief that needed to change. And in that sense, it, it would be fair to say, like, do we really then have to use that word wrong? Couldn't we just say that Jesus was in process, still being formed and shaped into a full understanding of his mission. And I'll admit, yeah, we, we could. That'd work. But I think I'm choosing to use the word wrong because it makes us feel uncomfortable. It, it, even if it makes sense intellectual, it feels like we shouldn't say Jesus was wrong. And, and that feeling of unease, of sort of like intellectual acceptance and emotional resistance, I think it's not only about Jesus. I think it's also about our relationship with the subject matter in today's text, race. Race is a subject where many folks are so terrified of being wrong, that we construct a reality where we're right. And this isn't a, a malicious thing. It's not even a conscious thing. I mean, it happens like this. We, we look at our history, and we know that racism is a terrible, horrible sin. And we conclude then that being racist must be a pretty terrible, horrible thing. And that causes us to feel horrible inside if we sound racist or look racist or are accused of being racist. I mean, we, we tell ourselves we can't be racist because racists, you know, they're, racists are people who consciously dislike people based on their race and are intentionally mean to them. And we aren't like that. We're progressive folks who went to Black Lives Matter protests and have the yard signs to prove it. But, but that belief that racists are terrible people who are nothing like us, that belief protects, enables, and perpetuates racism. 
it, it allows us to relax, to think we're not like them, we're okay. And then we don't need to learn. We don't have to admit that we're wrong when in fact we're all racists. Not because we're bad people, but because we're shaped by unconscious prejudice, you know, implicit bias that causes us to think and treat people differently based on their race. We're all racist because we're taught to focus on our good intentions rather than the impact of systemic racism that continues to benefit some at the expense of others. We're all racist because the way that we're taught to see the world is racist. Like from the characters on our TV to our metaphors of dark and light. And that, I think, what's, what's behind this is, uh, is, well, actually, I think it's a definition of racism that I'm pretty sure I'm borrowing from Robin DiAngelo, who, who says some version of, of racism is not an event or an attitude, but a system that prevents us from realizing how we participate in discrimination and how we benefit from discrimination. Like, another way of saying that is that Racism is a system that tells each of us that the worst thing we could do is to say out loud that we're racist. Racism is a system that tells us that the stakes are too high to be wrong. I mean, racism is America's original sin, and we are terrified to admit that it lives in each of us. And that's probably really why I want to stick with that word wrong and say something as risky as saying that Jesus was wrong at first. That he defended a wrong belief until a faithful and courageous woman taught him that God's love has no boundaries. I, I, I'm attached to that idea honestly because I think I want to believe that Jesus was wrong at first, because then I don't have to defend him for calling that woman a dog. I, I want to believe that Jesus was wrong at first, because then maybe I don't have to be so terrified about being wrong. And I, and I can't authentically preach a sermon about the transformative power of being wrong without also acknowledging that I could be wrong about my interpretation that Jesus was wrong. Yeah, I, I kind of set myself up for that. But, but even if I'm wrong about Jesus, I don't think I'm wrong about us that far too often our fear of saying something wrong, our fear of looking inadequate, our fear of looking racist, our fear of being racist, it blinds us from the sin that pervades our world. And I don't know how we can grow as people of faith if we hang on to the belief 
that we're always on the right side of history. So it gives me hope to think that maybe Jesus learned from being wrong. It gives me hope to think that if Jesus learned from being wrong, maybe we can too. Maybe we can have the courage to admit that we have a lot to learn about race and power and privilege. Maybe we can have the courage to embrace the times that we're, we were wrong in our past and, and view our younger self with compassion instead of the shameful regret that tells our, t our current self that we better not be wrong again. Maybe we can have the courage to admit when we're wrong, even when our anxieties tell us not to. And maybe we can have the courage to find a new name for the process of admitting we were wrong and admitting we need to learn. Rather than calling that sinful, maybe we can call it faithfully following the example of Jesus Christ. Amen.